Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Colossians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 17 to 24. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can look in the bulletin. The scripture is printed there. Uh, we're actually going to read a couple of verses. We're going to read the Genesis passage where all of our hatred for work comes from. We're going to read the Genesis 3 passage and then the Colossians 3 passage and we'll hit the Proverbs passages as we come to them in the sermon. So give ear, this is God's holy word. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth from you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. In Colossians 3, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. This is God's word. So we spend more time working than anything else. right? We've talked about that. And yet I can't tell you how many people I know who have said, title of this sermon, I hate my job. I hate it. Even those people who would like or even love their jobs, there are still parts of our jobs that we hate. Things we just can't stand. You know, we struggle with pay, right? Issues of compensation, it's, it's never enough, right? We struggle with time. It's always, work is always asking for too much of it right? More work, less pay. And the works and and the time situation, it drains us. You know, you wonder why people come home and they just want to veg in front of the television. It's because work is exhausting, right? And the more time that it calls from us, the less time we have to do other things. You know, then we struggle sometimes with just what we do. You know, sometimes our jobs seem mindless or meaningless or just ethically corrupt. You know, and these things cause us to hate our jobs. It leads to frustration. And then the hard part is that we can't trust the company to care about us. Right? All of us have this sense that we're only there because it's in the company's best interest to keep us there, and the company only cares about its own best interests. And so if the best interests of the company end up not matching up with us being employed, we're gone. Malcolm Gladwell has a book. He wrote Outliers. And in that book, he says there's three things that make a job satisfying. He says autonomy, complexity, and then a clear correlation between effort and reward. I think that's a pretty good description. We all want this, but so much of those three things are out of our control. Yeah, we might want it, but it doesn't matter what we want. What we have is a job that we hate. And our passage in Genesis tells us why. Okay, when Adam and Eve turned their backs on God, when they disobeyed his word, when they were filled with an attitude of selfishness, when they desired a greatness apart from God, that's what brought the curse. Okay, and it's important to understand 
what it was that Adam did to bring the curse. The reason is because here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. God was saying, when you do these things, like you wonder why. Like was God just being mean about the curse? Was he just being vindictive? Like, well, you guys disobeyed, so I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to spank you. No. I mean, here's what God was doing. God was basically saying, when you pursue your work apart from me, when you ignore me, when you engage in work for selfishness, for your own glory apart from me, it will never make you happy. The curse is, in some ways, the natural result of Adam and Eve turning their back on God. Why is that important? Well, because even though we inherit the curse from Adam and Eve, all of us are born into a work culture that has been, that's flawed, that's cursed, that is burdensome, we can make the curse worse. When we do what Adam and Eve did, when we ignore God, when we walk away from him, when we disobey his word, we make the curse worse. Okay, work is bad enough. Okay, and yet we can contribute to our own frustration. We actually can do things that increase the amount of hatred that we have for our jobs by doing what Adam and Eve did, by ignoring God, by pursuing selfishness, by seeking greatness apart from God. We actually make the curse worse. Now, the good news is that Jesus cares about this curse. He came to save us from it. Okay, and as we apply Jesus's words in Colossians 3, we'll begin to see the curse reversed in our jobs. Okay, we can do things to make the curse worse, but if we apply the words of Jesus, if we can understand, experience, and apply these words to our lives, we will see the curse reversed in our work and in our jobs. This passage teaches us really three things in order to reverse the curse on work. Okay, and here are the points if you want to take notes. First, attitude is everything. Okay, second, attitude brings power. And then third, attitude comes in response to Jesus. Okay, so attitude is everything. Attitude brings power. And then attitude comes in response to Jesus. Let's look first at attitude is everything. This is verse 17. Paul starts off by saying, and whatever you do, whatever you do, no matter what it is, Whatever you do, Paul's about to tell you something. So what this means here is that God cares about your work. It's part of your work is part of the whatever you do. Look at Proverbs 11.1 1 in that list of verses there on the right-hand side. It's the second one from the bottom. Proverbs 11.1 1 says, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Weights in an agricultural society like Israel had, um, were how people determined how much money they would make, how much money they would charge. And what God is saying here is that he cares about the work of weighing the products in the marketplace. God cares about this. So lying and cheating in business are an abomination to God. Lying and cheating in business make God upset. On the other side, good, honest business makes God happy. I mean, this is just a great verse. A just weight is his delight. You want to know how to make God happy? Work honestly. When you work honestly, no matter what else happens, God is delighted. And that's good news. That's good news. And so Paul says, whatever you do, God cares about your work. And then he gives us a couple of attitudes 
a couple of attitudes in verse 17. He says, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So this first attitude is the attitude of a representative. Okay, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. What Paul's saying there is that what you do represents Jesus. Your work reflects Jesus. To do something in the name of Jesus or in Jesus' name is to do it as his representative. Okay, as though he were doing it. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says that we are ambassadors. We are representatives of Christ. And so if we are representatives of Jesus, then our work is a reflection on Jesus. And so this is why in our faith and work ministry, we talk about doing our work with excellence. Doing our work with excellence because it reflects Jesus. And I'll tell you what, excellence in your work is one of the best ways to introduce people to Jesus. Okay, I know how many of you struggle with how do I share my faith? You know, how do I talk to other people at my work about Jesus? Christianity is becoming more and more ostracized, and it seems like it's more and more inappropriate to discuss, especially in the workplace. But excellence in work is appreciated by everybody. Right? Everybody appreciates folks who do good work. And so you want to find ways to work that will show Jesus through what you do. Figure out what is it? How can you work in a way that's different, that will stand out and that will reflect Jesus, that would do the work the way he would do it? If you do that, people will ask or it will come up at some point and you'll have the opportunity to say something like, look, I want the company to succeed. I also want to do good work so you can trust me. Plus, I think Jesus cares about my job. He cares about how I work and so I want to show how much he cares about my job by what I do. Okay, that's a very inoffensive way to tell people about your faith at work, right? And that could start conversations. They may ask more questions that would give you more of an opportunity, and then they're asking you about what you believe. And so the first attitude that Paul gives us is the attitude of a representative, that we're to do everything at work in the name of the Lord Jesus. The second attitude in verse 17 is an attitude of thankfulness. An attitude of thankfulness. Paul says, how do we do this? By giving thanks to God the Father through him. Giving thanks. You know people who are just thankful? I mean, how do they make you feel? I mean, they carry out, you see them in the office, they just, they carry an aura about them, right? There's something special about them. The best example of this that I've read comes from a book called Heaven is Not My Home, Seeing the Reality of Heaven on Earth by a guy named Paul Marshall. And he says, he's talking about a particular person who's speaking about their dad. He says, my dad is a seller of fish. He has a small store and it smells like fish. And at the end of a bargaining session with a customer over a particularly splendid fish, this customer said to him, my, you certainly didn't miss your calling. And she spoke the truth. My father is in full-time service for the Lord in the fish business. And the customers who come to the store sense it. It's not that we have the cheapest fish in town. It's not that there is no sin in our fish market, but this. That little fish market is not only a clean, honest place where you can buy quality fish at a reasonable price with a smile, but there's a spirit in the store. There's a spirit of laughter, of fun, of joy inside the buying and selling that strikes an observer pleasantly. I mean, there are stores 
there are shops that, uh, that are like that here in San Diego. My favorite restaurant, Jaywalk, I go there all the time. It's because the owner struck me this way when I first met him. And I thought, I just want to be around this guy. So I go back there all the time. Now, you might, have, you might have the authority, depending on where your job is, what your work is, you might have the authority to foster this kind of spirit in your company. Or maybe not. Maybe you only have the authority to foster it at your office or maybe just at your desk. You know, however wide your sphere of influence, your sphere of control is, you want to bring this attitude of thankfulness. It's an attitude of thankfulness that enables us to be this way. Now, how do we be thankful? I mean, I know how hard it is. I've been, you know, I worked for 10 years in industry and sales, and, and I, I just, I understand that sometimes you're just in awful, rotten situations that you can't get out of, and there's nothing you can do. How do you be thankful there? For me, usually it happens through prayer. You go to the Lord and try to thank him for anything you possibly can. You thank him that you have a job. You thank him that your job in some way provides for your needs. And maybe you start thanking him that you have the privilege of being able to represent Jesus. And maybe if you dig a little deeper, you can think, you know, the harder my job is, the more I hate my job, the more it, it really grates on me and frustrates me to no end. If I can have the attitude of Jesus here, how much more of an example will that be to people? You know, they say the light always shines brightest when it's darkest. And so again, going to the Lord, I mean, you almost, you're not ready for work until you have prayed yourself into these attitudes, right? Lord, help me to be thankful. Lord, I am thankful that I've got the strength to get to work. I've got the means to get to work. I have a job to go to. I have money that is coming in, right? You pray through that and it will produce in you a spirit of thankfulness. And then say, Lord, I want to represent Jesus today. I remember a long time ago, I had a friend and every day he or I, we switched off, would pick a verse from the Bible and we'd call the other person and say, okay, here it is for the day. Here's the daily verse. And we would try to put that verse into practice in every situation. I mean, again, that's the kind of thing that keeps us reminded of who we are, who we represent. Okay, something practical that you can do to have this attitude. And this attitude is everything. Your attitude, more than anything else, determines, determines what you're like at work and has a huge impact on how much you hate your job. An attitude of thankfulness can actually absorb the things that you hate about your job and and redeem them. So attitude is everything. Our second point is that attitude actually brings power. Okay, this is verse 22. Paul says, slaves, obey your masters. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. There are a lot of people who read these verses and think, this is exactly why the Bible is outdated and irrelevant. Like, how can you take a book seriously that seems to promote slavery and actually tell slaves to obey their masters, right? Isn't this actually the whole problem with the church is that it's trying to keep people under the, the thumb of its authority? And this is how it does it, by telling people that shouldn't submit to submit, right? I mean, this is how people feel about verses like this. 
you got to step back. If that's what you're thinking, I got to tell you, this isn't the sum total of the Bible's teaching on slavery. Okay. Elsewhere, Paul himself in 1 Corinthians 7 verses 21 and 22 says that if you are a slave and can get free, you should. Okay. 1 Corinthians 7 21 says, were you a slave when you were called by God? Don't be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who is called in the Lord as a slave is a freed man of the Lord. Paul's saying that your identity, when you become a Christian, if you were saved in slavery, that God sets you free. That as far as God is concerned, you are as free as his firstborn son with all the rights and privileges of adoption. So that's another piece of this. So Paul is not justifying slavery here in this passage. He's not saying that it's okay. But what he is recognizing is Paul is basically, I think he's actually being wonderfully honest. He's saying, look, some of us are in situations that we can't do anything about, right? I mean, Paul recognizes that, look, there are folks in the church who are in a bad situation and can't get out of that situation, how many of you feel like that is your work situation, right? Or your lack of work situation. That no matter what you do, you can't seem to get it working. Or no matter what you do, you can't, you know, some people would say, I guess I would say, if you're in a job that you hate and you can get out, go find a job that you can do that you'd enjoy, right? We have the amazing freedom. It's unparalleled in human history of being able to choose what we do, right? That is brand new in human history. You know, the fact that we can pick and choose, that we have all these choices out there. I mean, that's a freedom that is incredible. And so you want to use that freedom. If you're in a job you hate and you can get another job, there's nothing wrong with quitting your job and finding something else that you'd rather do. If you're going to do that, though, you just want to be wise, right? You just want to be wise. It's always wise to line up the next job before you quit your job. You know, you've got needs. You've got, okay, you you get that. You get that. You still have to provide for yourself. So try to find something else lined up before you quit a job that you hate. Um, but I think for so many of us, we feel like our job is almost like slavery. I mean, again, we don't want to diminish the reality of what slaves had to deal with, but we feel like we're stuck. We can't leave our situation. We can't find another job um, for whatever reason. And, and so the good news is that if you're in that situation with your work, then this passage speaks to you. Okay, this passage comes right to you, and it brings power. What Paul is saying here <clears throat> is that when you realize you might not have control over your job, but you do have control over your attitude, it changes everything. It really does. And it's, it's kind of interesting because you know, I'm coming after this attitude thing. Paul's coming after our attitudes here when it comes to our work, and you might kind of think, well, that's just not fair, right? You told me that I inherited a curse, you told me that work stinks and it's cursed and, 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 and all these bad things are coming. And I inherited that. I didn't do anything about that. But now you're telling me it's on me to fix my attitude and you feel like I'm pouring salt on the wound. I guess I would rather look at it as, look, there is something dramatic that you can change. Okay? If you can't change your work situation, you can change your attitude. And it will have a dramatic effect on your work. And it has such a dramatic effect that Paul can actually call slaves to obey their masters in everything. When you have the attitude of a representative of Christ and an attitude of thankfulness, even slaves 
can find joy in their work. There are stories written about slaves who have given other slaves hope both in this life and forever because of their commitment to Jesus. There are stories of slaves who have actually converted their masters because their masters could not figure out why their slaves were so happy. What it was that was moving their slaves to continue to do their work wholeheartedly in all, you know, all these different ways. Even Paul is a good example of this. He's in jail in Acts chapter 16, right? He's been beaten within an inch of his life, put in the stocks, and he's laying, you know, he's laying in the stocks, which wasn't a very comfortable position. You know, they had him sort of up and, and down at the same time. And there he is, and when midnight comes around, what's Paul doing? He's singing hymns and praising God. So when an earthquake hits and the jailer who is responsible for Paul realizes that, oh my goodness, life is a lot more uncertain than I thought, his first thought is, I'm going to talk to the guy who is overcoming imprisonment and beating with joy because I want that, right? And so Paul himself is an example. His attitude of gratitude and thankfulness, his attitude of representing Christ caused the jailer and ultimately his entire family to get saved to get saved. Yeah, I was talking with a neighbor yesterday. We have two houses that are vacant now on our street, and so we're anticipating who the new folks are going to be. They're going to move in. One's a rental, one's an ownership. And, uh, and she said, well, I really want to make sure that whoever comes in is friendly. You know, and if we detect any unfriendliness, we'll try to, like, stick our fingers in there and, and muck up the process, you know, as though we could. <clears throat> and, you know, I knew what she meant, you know, because we have this really amazing um, neighborhood. Our street is wonderful. Um, we actually treat each other like neighbors. And, and when she said that, I said, you know what? It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter who comes in or what they're like. I said, I'll take anyone just as they are because you can't expect them to be friendly until after they've experienced the warmth and friendship of Palm Street. And she said, oh, well, you know what? That makes sense. And then I said, you know, that's actually how God works and how the gospel works. I told her about the Good Samaritan that the religious leaders wanted to know, Jesus, who's my neighbor? Who do I have to be nice to? And Jesus totally flipped it upside down, like he always does. He flips their question upside down, and he says, it's not who is out there who is your neighbor, but it's who are you going to be a neighbor to? Do you understand the difference? It's not who do I have to love, it's are you going to be the loving person or not? And I was saying, I, I told her, I said, you know, this is the gospel. God doesn't demand us to be anything until after we have experienced his love. And once we've experienced his love and his grace, that's how we change and that's what we share. That's where the attitude comes. I mean, she is every, much as, as, every bit as much of a neighbor as I am, you know, and so, and that's what's happened. We share with others what we receive from Jesus. That's the gospel. That's the power of our attitudes. That's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, look, slaves, obey your masters because you have a heavenly master who has loved you and has cared for you, has served you, and that's it. That's where the power comes from. And... I guess I want you to think for a second, as crazy as the verse is that, it would, that would tell slaves to obey their masters, right? On the crazy meter, that's pretty high, right? Okay, so crazy meter spikes. Okay, that's how powerful the gospel is, okay? Because this is real. This actually 
happens. It happens in people's lives. And Paul wants to drive the point home that this needs to be real, okay? God doesn't want or need hypocrites, okay? I need to say that to all of us, myself included. God doesn't want or need hypocrites. This is the end of verse 22. He says, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Okay, the church doesn't need people who are simply doing this when they can be seen. Okay, your company doesn't need a Christian who is simply acting this way when people are looking. Okay, the blessing of Christianity, though, is that when you're gripped by the heart of Christ, when he shares his heart with you, you actually want to be this way all the time. And Jesus gives you the strength. He gives you his own love, his own desire to be this way all the time, even when no one's looking. You know, that's what integrity is, right? It's being the same person when you're by yourself versus when you're with your coworkers or your boss, right? And look, I know this is hard and I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm not, if, if you're failing in this area, the key to not being a hypocrite is just to admit it. Um, you're not a hypocrite if you say, look, I really struggle to be the same person in front of my coworkers or my boss as when I'm by myself. If you admit that, you're not a hypocrite. And what's good is that if you admit that, that's the process that God has laid out for us to change. That's how we grow, right? The confession of sin. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to do two things, okay? God does two things when we confess. He forgives our sins and he cleanses us from unrighteousness. So you know what that means? That means the sin that came out of us, God forgives And then the heart that produced that sin, God buffs on that piece of our heart. He he cleans up that piece of our heart so that we don't want to do it again. Does that make sense? And so, look, if you're failing to have integrity at work, and this is for if you're a Christian or not, right? Because Christians aren't the only hypocrites. Um, No matter who you are, the way to deal with this is to be honest. It's just to come clean is to pray, Lord, I have been a hypocrite at work. I have not had integrity. I have stepped up my game when everyone's looking so that I'd be thought of differently than what I really am. Will you forgive me? Lord, I need forgiveness and help me to be honest at work. Help me to be honest because when that happens, the trust that you engender, the respect that will come to you because people now will know that they know what they're getting from you when you're honest. I mean, that's, again, that's the power of this kind of attitude. When you recognize, you know what, I'm a representative of Christ and I want to be honest with people when I fail and when I fall. Only this attitude can give us that kind of strength. Only Christ's heart for work can give us the ability to be this way. So this brings us then to our last point. We've seen that attitude is everything. We've seen that attitude brings power. And our last thing is that, and we've already hinted at this, that attitude comes from a response to Jesus. This is verses 23 and 24. Paul says there, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. 
you are, you are serving the Lord Christ. You need to have this realization, right, that you are working ultimately for Jesus. Bill talked about this last week. He said that you have a new boss when you become a Christian. Jesus is your boss. That's what Paul says here. Work for the Lord and not for men. You are, you are serving the Lord Christ. He is your boss. He is your boss. We need to add that to our prayers, that spirit of thankfulness to pray that into reality, the spirit of representative to pray that into reality. Jesus, I'm serving you today. The decisions that I make with my time don't just affect the company. They don't just affect my boss. They affect you. Have you ever had a situation at work where things were getting really, really bad and you were ready to just quit? You were ready to go home. You were ready to just give up. And then you had a boss that came to you and said, look, I know things are difficult. I know that what we're being asked, what I'm asking of you is tedious, it's frustrating, it's a lot of work. I recognize that you might not even see why I'm asking you for this, but I just want you to know that I'm, I'm struggling with you. Like this stuff rolls downhill, okay? And I'm, I'm having to deliver to you what I'm being given from above. And so I just want you to know that I'm in it with you and I'd, I'd really like to be able to count on you. Can I count on you? Have you ever had that experience? How does that make you feel? It makes you feel understood. I mean, it really does give you a measure of strength, right? It makes you have this sense of camaraderie that, wow, I feel like I'm now, me and my boss are, <laughs> like we're together in a way that we usually aren't. Or maybe you've never had that experience and you wish your boss would do that. Verse 23 tells us that your boss does do that. No matter what your earthly boss does, that's exactly what Jesus is doing. Jesus is coming alongside and saying, look, I recognize that your work is awful. I recognize that you hate your work. I recognize that your work is difficult. It's sometimes meaningless. It's sometimes tedious. I know you feel unappreciated and frustrated. I know it feels like life is miserable, and I'm sorry. I wish it wasn't that way. But I want to ask you if I can count on you to enter into this work situation with a spirit of representative, with a spirit of thankfulness. Because when you do that, then you really do work just like I worked. Jesus is coming alongside all of us today and he's saying, if you think work is bad, I can talk to you about work that you'd really hate. I can talk about a work environment that is awful. I can talk about a calling that isn't just bad pay, but leaves you with absolutely nothing. I can talk to you about a calling in work that doesn't just take up too much of your time. It takes up all of your time and even your life. I can talk to you about a work, a job and a calling where everything was against you, where enemies abound. And they don't just want to keep you down. They want to take you out. As Jesus is saying that to you today, his first thought isn't you should be guilty for how you feel about your work. Jesus' first thought is, 
I want you to know exactly what I did and what I had to endure in my work so that you would know how much I love you. So that you would know that I knew everything that was going to happen to me before I was even born. And I said yes to that job. I said yes to that job because more than all of that, I wanted a relationship with you. I wanted to bring you back from where you've been lost. I wanted to gather you to myself and show my love to you. And now, when I ask you to go back in to that same job that you hate, when I ask you to go into those things that you hate, I'm asking you that because there is, in some ways, no better opportunity for you to show the world what I did. It's part of your calling, your commission, to do your work heartily as though it's for me. To do your work heartily in my name because by you bringing thankfulness and joy into a job that you hate, you show the joy that motivated me to die for the world and people will be changed. When you do that, I will honor your commitment and I will bring people to myself and you will see my kingdom advance. Brothers and sisters, are you willing to hear that from Jesus? Are you willing to say yes to his calling in your life? And if you're not a Christian, I mean, this is the work of Christ. What we do is in response to his work for us. If you're not a Christian, if you've spent time living apart from God and ignored him, this is what Jesus has done to bring you back. This is how much he loves you and what he can do to reverse this curse in your work, in your job, but even more in the rest of your life as well. Let's pray together. Jesus, I'm saying yes. And I'm confessing too that even this week, I did not handle myself well. I had times this week where I did not honor you or I didn't represent you well. I wasn't thankful, but I was bitter and I gave in to the curse and made it worse in my own life. Jesus, I need you to forgive me for that and cleanse my heart so that I would be reminded with this amazing vision of who you are. Help all of us in this room to be so moved by a vision of you coming into a job, so much of it that you hated, so much of it that if there was any other way, you wouldn't have done it. But you were willing to do it because you loved us and wanted to see us experience a relationship with God. And Jesus, for those who are here who don't know you yet, would you press this into their hearts and help them to see it, help them to believe it, experience it, your love, so that they would come back to you and help all of us to pray into this so that we be really ready for work tomorrow. We pray this in your name. Amen.